This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive, but necessary, and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapist, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hi, everybody. Welcome back again to the podcast. We've got a couple of really good car debates, but it is Friday and there is stuff to talk about. Yeah. Racing is back. I'm so excited. Oh, that's true. The yep. first F1 race of 2023 is this weekend, Sunday, March 5, Bahrain Grand Prix. And then the IndyCar GP is also the St. Petersburg Grand Prix is coming. So I'm so excited. Racing is back. We've been buried in snow and mm-hmm. the skiing has been great. We've been enjoying winter in the mountains. But, you know, I'm really longing for driving roads. I really am. I hear you. Well, I, I'm actually editing the South piece, and it's almost done. It's going to be with you guys in about a week or so. And, uh, and so I'm editing that piece, getting it wrapped up. And, of course, those weren't the world's greatest driving roads, but it was long before we got besieged by snow. And I just keep <laughs> yeah, going, right. driving is fun! You know, so <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of ridiculous. I actually drove the, uh, the Z this past, uh, past couple days on the all-weather tires in our ridiculous snowstorm. Oh, nice. And they did okay. The all-weathers, I mean, they're, again, they're snow-rated, but they're not, you know, heavy-duty winter snow tires. And they did okay. Granted, that car just has power. That's the other thing about it. It just has <laughs> yes, a it lot does. of power. And so it just wants to break things loose anyway. Like in the middle of the summer, it wants to break things loose. So, uh, but we got everywhere we needed to go. It was fun to have that car out. And I know I got looked at like, who is this crazy person? Because right. it was right on the tail end of a snowstorm, and I'm out in that car, which was very fun. Well, at least people can spot you because it's red, you know. So at least oh, you're yeah, yeah, seen sure. in the blinding oh, yeah, snowstorm. Yep. So that's good. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Huh? <laughs> well, guys, we've got a great couple of debates for you. Starting off with Joe P., who is in Denver, Colorado. And Joe is starting to appreciate car styling more and more. And Joe, that really warms my heart. I'm really excited <laughs> to hear that. It's good stuff. It's excellent. Well, he is in his early 50s. He's in Metro Denver, and he's got the disease. He's an empty nester. He's also divorced, and he's a small guy, five foot seven. He is currently dailying a 2019 Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio that he bought okay. new in 2019. He says he's a hybrid worker. He commutes only 11 miles each way for three days a week that he goes into the office. But he has tracked this thing, mm-hmm. tr- tracked it at High Plains Raceway. Is- we've, we've been out there, Joe. Yeah, for sure. This is the full fat, the all the power. Full fat. <laughs> Seriously, it's the it's the Alfa Romeo SUV made to be a hot one. And I and I've driven it and they're cool, but I have to admit I would never think of that as a track car. But he's tracked it anyway. His first track experience was in this thing, which I is do, amazing. I do kind of dig that, Joe. He says he loved yeah. the experience. But the Stelvio didn't. I mean, despite <laughs> it being the quadrifolio. I mean it's should yep. Yep. be at home on a track. He replaced his radiator because it had a pinhole leak, the accessory drive belt at only 16,000 miles, and one of the turbo housings was leaking oil because <laughs> he also didn't know how to properly cool off his brakes, and he warped his rotors, which made him replace the rotors and pads. Do we call this a successful track yes. day? I mean, well, it's yeah, successful for an alpha, he, right? Exactly. He, tri- he tried hard. <laughs> he, he worked it hard. And, and actually, as a result, let's be honest, the size and power of an SUV is going to burn through stuff on a track day. And that's exactly <laughs> yes. what happened with Joe, for sure. He says he understands the consumables, but then those other maintenance issues have kept him off the track for a year and a half. And so he's been frequenting a Canyon Road to get his driving fix. But the warranty is almost up, and he's not interested okay. in spending two grand to rep- replace the accessory drive belt every 18,000 miles. What? It requires the front end of the car be dismantled? I mean, <laughs> I, I've replaced okay. the drive belt on my 928. It doesn't, I mean, you don't have to take the engine out, but you, know, you can do it without doing that. But you don't have to take the front end of the car off. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, wasn't wasn't designed for easy service. Clearly, he doesn't want to do that again. So he's thinking he should move on. What I find interesting, though, is all of a sudden I feel like Joe's story comes into focus when he talks about the cars he's had prior. Because mm-hmm. the Stelvio Quadrifoglio is the standout performance vehicle in his life. And once you understand the list, you go, oh, I see why you tracked that. Because he's had a <laughs> Chevy S10 pickup. A 1997 Mercury Mountaineer 4x4 with the 5-liter V8, a, a Toyota Sienna front-wheel drive minivan, a Toyota 4Runner V8 that his son now drives, and then a 2010 Toyota Prius that he used when he had a longer commute. So when you look at that list, you go, well, the Stelvio is a hot rod. 
among that whole list. So of course you not only love it, which I'm glad, but also have tracked it, but now you've realized that that's not the right thing for that. So we have much to discuss. Joe, I would like to offer my congratulations. I don't think I've ever met anybody who's tracked a Stelvio. I mean, that's Agreed. Just that that's itself cool. is a, that's yeah. a major accomplishment. Well done. Well, he's I agree. Re- he's ready for a sports car, though. And he's never owned a manual. He knows how to drive one. He drove a manual while on Air Force deployment for four months. And he says this level of driver engagement thing that we all keep talking about has him intrigued. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But owning the Alpha has given him an appreciation, he writes, for head-turning styling. Well, he's, like always, he's always had one car that can do it all, and he's open to owning two cars now that can fulfill the needs, like commuting and being fast and being beautiful. And after all this high-maintenance stuff, high cost of ownership while owning the Alpha, he's ready for something that won't stress him out. I agree. Like it. Like it. Whatever he ends up getting... It will have to fit in his two-car garage, so no full-size pickups. And he can do basic maintenance and you know, oil and filter changes, that kind of thing. So right now, selling the Stelvio, and if his son ends up buying a car for himself, he may sell his Forerunner, which pushes his budget up to sixty grand, which is mm, okay. very tasty. Right. I like the split. Splitting that up is kind of where I'm thinking. I agree. I agree, yep. He says cars that interest him are the GR Corolla, Civic Type R, Civic Si, Acura Integra Type S, when it's available, or any cheaper old Maz speed, or he even puts out his wild card, the Hyundai Ioniq 5N, when it comes mm. out. Like this. What a good list. It is a good list. I do think that the Ioniq, I have to say, Joe, is a serious left turn because you haven't suggested <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> anything that says your life makes sense for an electric car or that, hey, I've always wanted an electric, or anything like that. Now, the, the Ionic N is going to be similar to, what is it, the, uh, the, the EV60 GT that we drove. It's going to be similar to that. Uh, yeah, and it'll G- be GV60, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Yeah, so it's, it's that. But the, um, the thing about it is that electric cars are not small or light. And the problem you've had with your Stelvio on the track was it was neither small nor light, and you blew through consumables, and now you're looking for a genuine fun car, and I understand that the Ionic 5 or the Ionic 5N, of course, will be fast and efficient and those things, but let's be honest, it's not actually solving the fun car question. And you don't need an EV. Right, right. He doesn't need it at this point. And anything, I get the idea, extrapolating your wants, Joe, and that is... You kind of want to go back on track. You, you want something to take back. I mean, any EV that you choose, Joe, will be the get-around Colorado kind of vehicle for you. True, I true, true. I yeah. still think we need to break up that $60,000 budget into two cars like you suggested. And a GR Corolla is a huge choice here, and I'd love mm-hmm. you to have one of those. That is kind of the perfect Colorado car year-round. Take the track, mm-hmm. put good winners on it, ski everywhere. But I think you should embrace a little bit of immaturity. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Kind of like Todd and I did when we had that GR86 for a full year. You could get one of those or a GT86. Something mm. that you know you're going to go thrash on track and not really care about. And it's not going to ask a lot of you from a consumable standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not exactly breaking up the dollar budget <laughs> by perfect increments because I'm going to go over. I I know I am. <laughs> of course you are. Here's why. Got it. Mm-hmm. I thought GR86, but then that led me to the GR Super Manual. I mean, talk about power. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Or a Nissan Z. Manual, automatic. I, I think you want the manual. But one of those, somewhere in there, we actually did a video with all of those cars, and I thought, that is Joe's video. That is really what you should be focused on for your fun car. So... It kind of depends on which way you're leaning, what you can find, even a used GR86 or a GT86, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I said, that's the track car, that's summer, that's you know the fun car, that manual thing you've been missing. And then, I do like your Ionic 5N, but that's not available. That's At this recording, that's not out there. And so I thought, you also mentioned pickup and having maybe all-wheel drive, something convenient in Colorado, and you want to do other things. You're also in Colorado, which makes me think that you probably are somewhat outdoorsy and you want to go do things. And I thought about Utes. What about? <laughs> I love it. Because it's, they're, they're not full-size pickup trucks, which I know, I think it will fit in your garage just fine. I mean, they're pretty much just it SUV yeah, yeah. wheelbases. 
something like a Hyundai Santa Cruz mm-hmm. or a Honda Ridgeline. One of those two. I thought about the Maverick, but maybe, but I think you'd like the Santa Cruz a whole lot better. And those are, for the turbo engine, those are 40 grand, so that only leaves you 20 or so for a GT86. If you want a GR86, you're going to have to add... 10 grand to that, so <laughs> that's why I didn't quite divide it up in exact increments. Sure. I'm leaving yeah, yeah. that up to you, but I love the Ute for Utish Colorado things with good winter tires. Mm-hmm. And I want you to go outside and be like, huh, what do I, what's the weather doing? That will dictate my yeah. car. Or it won't. I'll just kind of throw caution to the wind. I'm just going to you know, flip a coin or something. But I think those two would really make you enjoy driving. And then you've got a track option. Yeah. Yeah. Super Manual and a Ridgeline or a GR86 <laughs> and a Santa Cruz. It, yes. Something like it's, that. It, that is the perfect tools for all jobs garage where you can, you're in Colorado. You can, do I want to bounce down a fire road or do I want to go to High Plains right. Way and wreck some tires? You have options for right. sure. Yeah. <laughs> or wreck your tires on a fire road or off. I don't exactly. Know, all of the above. Yep. Yeah. Th- those are my choices for you, Joe. Okay, that's good. Joe, I want to talk about a couple of the cars you brought up real quick. Again, as Paul said, the GR Corolla would be awesome. It'd be happy as a track car. It'd be happy as a do-it-all. That is probably, I think, your best one-car solution, even though I actually am leaning where Paul is, and that is two cars. I think the GR Corolla would be great. I'm going to warn you, please don't overpay. If you decide to go GR Corolla, please don't pay markup. We saw some guy here locally uh, near us that posted a (laughs) GR Corolla with like he he had it delivered from Toyota, still in the packaging with the suspension chocks in it and the whole thing, and he was like, "Well, I have to offset my markup," and he was charging like sixty five grand and hoping somebody mm-hmm. would buy it. Oh, stop, 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 stop! Please don't yeah. do that. Yeah. But also because of that reality, I think the Type R is out because unfortunately those are getting marked up like crazy, and it is not. I, I like it. It's not a fifty thousand dollar plus car. So I don't want you spending two thousand dollars Civic. I don't want you spending the majority of your sixty thousand dollar budget getting a Type R. If you are interested in the Honda, which of course is a great manual transmission, get the Civic Si. Mm-hmm. Don't even get the Type R. Get the Civic Si and have that. It would be more fun to drive than the Integra. I understand the Integra S is coming, but I think the Civic the Civic is, is your choice. Um, you have to look at two others though. And again, I'm still talking kind of everyday cars that can do. Everything you need, but you could also track them is kind of where my headspace is for all of these. Civic Si works. Corolla works. You need to at least drive the Elantra in with a manual, and you need to drive a Mini Cooper S with a manual. Oh, good. Because all of these would have the capability of having decent styling, which is something you pointed out. They will drive well. They have good manuals. They could track them. And you can also just get decent gas mileage just on your commute. So those are all the, the single car options. However, where I landed was two cars as well, but I did a little different than Paul. Because I thought about, I don't hear from you that what you really want is a truck. Now, I like Paul's get a ute and get a sports car thing because you, then you have really created every possible scenario you could go do with one of your vehicles. And I do love that. And that's very compelling. I stayed with, you need a car that just does life and gets good gas mileage and you never have to think about it. And you need a car that you can pick because that car is so much fun. And you need the option. So if you go out and it's a terrible day, you can just be like, I'll just take the commute car, the whatever. I've got winter tires on it. It's all-wheel drive, whatever. And that is also a car that now has decent styling. And I would say you need a new Prius. A new one. What? You've had a Prius before. Seriously. Get yourself the brand. Hang It's one of two cars. Get yourself one of the brand new Priuses. They're going to get 50 miles to the gallon. You can get it in all-wheel drive. The styling is good-looking for the first time ever. Okay. All right. So I'll give you that. I, yeah. you, have, you have that as your, the weather's terrible, do anything I need, I need to commute car. But all, honestly, you didn't end up with something you have to apologize for styling-wise. It also looks good now. So you solve that problem. And then, let's say that car cost you, and it will, probably about $35,000. Spend the rest of your money getting yourself a current-gen ND Miata which is the best the Miata has ever looked. If you can get the RF, you're buying, I think, one of the most classic designs of the modern era that will age wonderfully, and I'm not even the style guy. He is 5'7". Yes, for sure. So you could get a Miata and fit wonderfully and love it, and I think what would end up happening is the Prius would be the all-purpose, I have not thought about this car once, I put gas in it, at some point it'll get an oil change. It never gets any thought, but it's reliable and standby and perfect 
for what it does. But then you're going to walk out and go, you know what? I still could take the Miata today, which is great. And you can take wow. it to the track. But that's the other thing that if you take the Miata to the track and you become really obsessed with tracking because Miatas have a tendency to do that, you aren't actually worried about I'm driving my only car at the track. Yeah. If you go and blow through your brakes and your tires on your Miata this weekend and you, and you limp your way home, you can leave tomorrow in the Prius. And get great gas mileage and go get groceries and run to, the, run to your work or whatever. So my choice is those two. Both essentially brand new cars done for your budget. You may have to get a couple-year-old Miata to make the numbers work. But I think that's my two-car scenario. That's right. I went Prius. Wow. It, all right, Joe. You've got some choices here. But the thing that you need to really think about is the T-shirt you're going to have made for yourself that says, <laughs> I've tracked a Stelvio. Yep. And I survived and have that clover <laughs> on the back, you know, so, <laughs> like I've tracked a Stelvio Quadrifoglio. You haven't. I survived. Still can't believe I did it. Don't own it anymore. It's a, well, that's a long T-shirt. That's like a world tour kind of T-shirt right there. So, well, but, but, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, we're, we're referencing now the, the famous thing that Jeremy Clarkson said a few years back. And, and I don't know if I believe this or not, but he was quoted, obviously, as saying that you aren't a real car enthusiast until you've owned an Alpha. So all you need is an Alpha logo that says <laughs> yeah. owned and tracked an Alpha. That's yes. all you need. <laughs> just the Alpha male logo with that underneath it. Your day's done. Can it just be a little asterisk at the bottom? I don't own the Alpha anymore, so I'm off scot-free now, and we're good, right? Something, something the, to that The effect. asterisk actually says, it was a Stelvio, in fact, and I since got rid of it. That's, exactly. the, that's the asterisk. There we go. It's perfect. All right, Joe, let us know what you get, and write to us your own car conclusions, your topic Tuesdays, and your car debates, TV at gmail.com. It is a new year with new products from Griot's Garage. First up is the 3-in-1 Wheel, Tire, and Mat Cleaner. This is a non-acidic formula that cuts brake dust and road grime on your OEM wheels, tires, and rubber floor mats. Then there's Water Spot Remover, which removes the above-surface water spots from exterior surfaces. There's Ceramic Metal Polish. It brightens, restores, and protects common metal surfaces, and it leaves a finish like you've never seen. I use some of this stuff on the Z Exhaust. It's awesome. Then there's their citrus all-purpose cleaner. When Nick was on the podcast the last time, he talked this up. You have gum in the seats. You've got melted crayons. This is the stuff that works on that. It's a concentrated, powerful, non-foaming cleaner for exteriors and interiors alike. And remember that all Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made right here in the USA. And when you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Car debate number two comes from Lamar G. in Maryland with a $50,000 question. Okay. He's had the disease for as long as he can remember. From early childhood. As we all have. <laughs> I mean, welcome. Anyway, where, where your people yeah. are. He wouldn't be seen without a matchbox or Hot Wheels in each hand. He's a double fister. Then it was on to, wow, I, I haven't read this for a long time, Lamar. Tyco Electric Race Car Tracks. Then yeah, electric, that brought me back, too. Oh, yep. my gosh. Then Electric and Gas RC Cars. As an adult, he's had his share of fun vehicles, including a manual Mark IV and Mark VII GTI, Infiniti okay. G35S sedan, G35S coupe. Mercedes-Benz CLS 55 AMG, a Yamaha R1. Ooh, that's a fast bike. And a yeah, Mazda Speed MX-5. Love those. His current cars include a 2018 Audi S5 Sportback and a 2013 911 Carrera 4S PDK. Hmm. He's always okay. loved Porsches. 911 is a dream car, so any suggestion that he parts ways with it will fall on deaf ears. <laughs> so he's, what's happened here is Lamar's heard the podcast at least once. That's what's <laughs> happened. And he is, he, is, he is building a fence around that 911 and going, guys, this car is not leaving. Don't even recommend it. But I do think it's interesting that you have two like, brand-related cars in the Audi S5 Sportback and the 911 Carrera 4S. And you also have two all-wheel drives, which I also find fascinating. True. But they, aren't, they couldn't be more different in their purpose. Obviously, the S5 is intended to be fun and nice and have a little bit of utility, and the 911 Carrera 4S is your go-everywhere, every, go do-everything, all-weather sports car, and in PDK as well. Very cool. Good, good, good pairing there. No, it is good. Well, he says his prominent, though, is with the Audi. It mm. serves its purpose extremely well. It's comfortable. It's fast. It's attractive. It's got a large mm-hmm. hatch, all of the amenities and creature comforts he would want in a car. It's been reliable, 
and Quattro has been great in the snow that they receive in Maryland. But the car is missing sizzle. Mm-hmm. He misses his Mark 7 GTI that he had, but he felt that car was a little immature. And his MOF is currently in the process of upgrading from a Mazda 3 into an X3 BMW. So that can take the place of the S5 as the sensible adult car, which frees Lamar up for a more exciting daily. <laughs> okay. See, this is, this is enthusiast math right here. This oh, is, of course it is. Of course it is. Honey, you have... I mean, this, this is what my wife and I have done for years. She has the Cayenne. We have a three-person family. We own multiple two-person cars. That means if all three of us are going somewhere, there's only one car going, and that's the Cayenne. That's happened for years. Yeah, true, true. You, you, and I were in a, you and I were in a meeting locally in Park City in the middle of the winter. This is a month or so back. In the middle of the winter, and one of the people in the meeting is known notoriously for buying just cars. They just need to go places and do things. And he's a major outdoors guy. And so he has owned, and it became kind of, we got this funny conversation because, of course, everywhere we go, we talk about cars. It was a funny conversation about how he has owned a string of Subaru Outbacks. And he he looked at me deadpan, deadpan, and asked me, what do you drive in the winter? And I said, what of my cars? (laughs) But anyway, so it is a thing. We're not normal. I get it. I understand. Well, Lamar is thinking about a 981 Cayman or a Boxster as much as he can afford, but that doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, it makes sense to you, Lamar. It makes sense to me. It's just, yeah. you know, Todd's going to give us crap for thinking like that. So, Well, we, we see, I mean, look, I see the logic because you want something more fun, and, you, and the 911, you've said, is not going anywhere. So, mm-hmm. I, look, I see yeah. how you get to Boxster and Cayman. There's no question that that should be a consideration because of the things that you like about the two cars you currently have. The Audi, which isn't as fun enough, but, man, it's nice and it's German. And then, of course, the 911. So a more, even a more recent Boxster and Cayman makes sense, except now you have two Porsche products in the garage. <laughs> I mean, I'm all good with it. You're fine with it. I'm yes, I get fine. it. Uh-huh. Lamar writes for $50,000, and my Paul limiter is at $50,001. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Message received. Lamar, bravo. Well done. Yes. What should, be, what should he be considering? They have no children. They do have two six-month-old Rottweiler puppies he likes to take to parks or in outings. But good news, your wife is getting an X3, so mm-hmm. that's taken care of, in my opinion. He what you prefer- get is you get the, the really nice dog-covered, dog-proof things in the yeah. back hatch and in the back seat, because then you have you know Rottweiler pups that get to go crazy, for sure, yeah. They'll crawl all over the leather seats. And they will, absolutely. Everything. Yep. Mm-hmm. Lamar would prefer a manual or a dual clutch, rear-wheel drive, a rear-biased all-wheel drive, and 2018 or newer... Is the prior generation M3 the obvious choice? No, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Good to know. Yes. Excellent. I am suggesting two cars, same manufacturer, and that is the GR Supra or an M2. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just kind of depends on what kind of style and space you want. But I would love it if you had a GR Supra. If you get the new 3.0 manual... Mm -hmm. Lamar, mm-hmm. I, what I want for you is for you to go outside and scratch your head every day. Huh. Got these two really amazing cars. I don't know what to take. <laughs> I mean, what yeah, a delicious problem to have. But you yep. said back up here, scrolling back up your email, you've got a 2013 911 Carrera 4S PDK. It's not going anywhere. And I'm wondering why you even need another car. Why, why don't you... Put the miles on it. Turn that it's a great question. into a great your question. daily. What mm-hmm. I want is you to lean on the 911 now. It's not the special mm-hmm. car that only comes out once in a while. Love it. If it makes you feel better, get the front end PPF protected. But I want you to make it your goal to put miles on that thing. And then mm-hmm. guess what? You're driving a 911 all the time. I don't see a problem with that. I mean, put I the miles on the thing. Make it your mission in life to get high miles because then maybe your fun car is this GR Supra and you take that out and you do some tracking with that or that's a little bit, well, it's not going to be sharper or more focused because you have a 911. <laughs> but <laughs> I would love it. I mean, you're, I think you're in a place where you want two kinds of flavors and so I'd love mm-hmm. you to have the 911 mm-hmm. and then, like I said, some front-engined, 
vehicle that is also fun and I, I want Plus you to be front engine rear wheel drive yeah, which is a different yeah, feel than he has right now which is you know all wheel drive rear engine i i, yeah. I see the pair yeah. keep going but switch your mindset switch the vehicles in the garage you know what you could do lamar switch places in the garage wherever you park them actually physically switch their location so it makes you think differently about them that mm. simple act will switch in your mind, ah, that is, that's the daily now. That's, that's the, mm-hmm. the parking spot where I always get in, into the daily. And now the 911 has its permanent home there. Whereas now this new car, whatever you decide, that's parked where the 911 used to be. So it, just the littlest tiny thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a mnemonic device or a, you know, just yeah, something yeah. to help you. And it, it switches your mindset. And then you just automatically climb into the 911 because... That car should have the miles piled upon it. It's designed for it. It's built for it. It's ready for it. And you have a 911. You said it's not going anywhere. Put the miles on it. This I, is your buddy, chance. I agree. And then it could be an M2, you know, some used M2. I, I'd love you to experience that. But now that slot, that parking space in the garage or wherever that is, that's the car that comes and goes. Since the 911 is your life, that's mm. the daily. That mm. just, that's the standard. Now mm-hmm. you, it'll free you, free you up because your wife's getting an M3. You can just have the crazy dumb stuff coming and going. You know, I had a GR Super for a while, and then I got a Miata, yeah. and then I got a GR86, and then I got a Caterham, and then I got an Elise, and then I got a, you know, just like imagine the <laughs> yeah. video montage yeah, yeah. in your mind, like boop, 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 through totally. the cars. That's what I want you to imagine with your garage. Lamar, I think Paul's done this very, very well. I like the two-car option here with the constantly rotating car. I want to talk about that rotating car a little bit. But I also want to touch on your 911 for just a second. I'm not asking you to get rid of it. I'm asking (laughs) you to look at it with perspective. And here's my point. 2013 911 Carrera 4S. If I'm not mistaken, that means it is the first year of the 991 generation. Right, right. So when the car got larger, it got a little bit more usable. It got more usable back seats. And it's very cool. Look, we, we drove that car like that in our 50 Years of 911 film, which, believe it or not, is 10 years old this year. Oh, my gosh. Don't but, do that. Lamar, the point I really want to make to you is I, I know that 911 is good. I know that you love it. And all of those things cannot be denied. I know that it is wonderful to drive. Here's the tough love. That's not a special 911. Mm. It's not. Mm. They made a lot of those. Yeah. A 2013 Carrera 4S with PDK, there are many. <laughs> the true. reason I'm bringing it up is not because I want you to get rid of it, but because I want to back what Paul has just said, and that is there is no reason to not drive that. None. It's not going to go up in value. It's not going to be a collector car. It's not so special that people have never, ever seen one, and they're going to want to brush themselves up against it. It's just a car that is fantastic. So that 2013 Porsche 911 should be get driven all the time. <laughs> Bring it out like a dirty washcloth. Seriously, like, and you can look. You can take great everything care of it. out of it. You can take great care of it, and it will be in wonderful shape for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm concerned that that car is precious, and precious to the point you don't drive it. And mm-hmm. while I appreciate why it's wonderful, candidly, it is not special enough to not be driven. I mean, few things are, but it is definitely sure. not a car that's like, well, we, I, just, I can't drive the 911. It needs to be is driven. So there's that. Yes. You mentioned the, the GR Super, Paul, which I actually love. I love that in manual. The problem is we're going to break that 50 grand getting a manual because it's only available. Yeah, I know. Later. You'd have to go so backwards that is the problem. a little bit. It's going to be s- somewhere in the neighbor, neighborhood of probably 55 to 60 to get one of those. Now, I still think it's a great choice. I really do like it. I had it on my list as well. I, hmm, I'm not a big fan of the two of the same model garage, and I've said that many, many times on the podcast, <laughs> but I understand that things happen. Yes. yes. And the, uh, a more recent Boxster and an older 911, because your 911 is 10 years old now, those are very different driving experiences. They are the same brand, but they are not the same car. True. It's not like True. you bought two out, Outbacks and you put them side by side. It's not doing that. So if, yeah. if that's the way you want to go because you like the Porsche product, or if you say, for whatever reason, I, this 911 can't be driven, then, okay, Boxster came and starts to be a, a conversation starter. I think you should go Boxster so you not only change the engine location, but you add the convertible option. I think that would be the better way to go. I can give you a pass here, even though it's not my favorite. I do think, though, since the 911 isn't going anywhere and we need something different and you don't need it to be usable, I want to push you in a totally different direction. 
Okay, good. And that is, Paul went there with the GR Supra, but I, but I think I can, I can do the same idea differently, even crazier and under budget. And that is, front engine, rear drive, something you haven't had anything like before, you really need, Lamar, a Corvette C7. Nice. That's different. V8, front engine, American-made. It is the exact... You will have pretty much every major magazine's cover story in your <laughs> That's garage. That's true. Okay? If you get a C7 Corvette, you are getting the same, roughly the same generation as your 911, and you are getting the throwdown car of each of those continents and manufacturers. You end up with a V8 front-engine rear-drive car with some attitude. That is a fantastic car, and it couldn't be more different in personality and feel than your 911. I think that's the garage you want to open up. Also, keep this in mind. Your wife's about to have an X3. So right. your garage is now BMW X3, Corvette C7, oh. 911. You have that's definitive cars from e different e brands. Yeah. That is my choice for you, man, and I hope you chase it. Wow. All right. Well, Lamar, you've got some choices to make as well. Please let us know what you end up getting. Write to us your car conclusions. Guys, thanks for your questions. As always, you gave us a lot of great responses to the postings we did today, which just happened to be all about weather because we're getting bombarded with it. We know you are as well. Also, I should acknowledge the fact that you can obviously tell we are not in studio right now due to travel. We are actually recording elsewhere. We've got a few others of those coming up as we do more travel. We're excited to be shooting again, but we want to get into some of these questions. I'm going to go to one that was about the weather where somebody said it was actually... Uh, Chris points out that even the dogs are in red and blue. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> there, there's a picture, there, there's a video there because I was out actually snowshoeing and my dogs were kind of drowning in the amount of snow that we had. But I'm, I'm going to beg to differ because actually my son's dog, Wasatch, has an orange jacket and my our new little puppy, Laguna, she has kind of like a teal jacket. So it's close to red and blue, and I appreciate the jab. But believe it or not, we didn't actually set out to do that. But, uh, but I will also say that somebody one day drove by my house and said, even Todd's house is red. So I accidentally wind up in my color all the time. So, uh, yeah, that happened. But the dogs are swimming through the snow, and we're having a great time. My house is not blue, just That's in true. case anybody's wondering. It's not That's blue. true, yes. Flermit has a question on Instagram about newer Volkswagen products. Are the clutches on the manuals very odd to use? Is this mm. something you can get used to over a few days, or do they just, do they just feel different? Flermit wants one, but the clutch is an obstacle in buying one. Well, if you don't like the clutch in the test drive, you're not going to like the clutch living with it later. Yes, mm, clutches mm. change due to wear over time, but yeah, not yeah. that much. And you're right, the Volkswagen clutches, the GTI is a great example. Very easy to use. You can get used to it, but that's like me saying, ah, everybody got used to the Lexus interface, the old one, or the Cadillac Q system, or the new mm -hmm. Volkswagen ID4 and Golf R uh, interface. I suppose, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of buyers for those cars, and they got used to it, and they liked it enough. But if it's such a turnoff on that initial drive... I can't say, yeah, just push through, just suck it up, <laughs> push on through, tape it up, and get back in the game. <laughs> Take a shot of cortisone and get back Walk in the off, game. Walk it off, man. Walk it <laughs> off. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. That's funny. <laughs> well, the thing about those, all of those recent ones, and, and I actually watch all one of our GLI pieces, and I kind of raged against the clutch on that car because it also had massive rev hang, or in some cases, rev increase, which is something I've never <laughs> right. encountered. Uh, Volkswagen has actually, and I want, I want to say this two ways. They've done a really good job of making their manual transmissions everyday commute usable. And I feel like their manuals now are being tuned not for fun and engagement. They're being tuned for I sit in traffic, oh, which yeah, means the that. clutches yeah. are light switch light, the engagement you barely feel. And so if, if, you're, if you're doing the 405 crawl, the walking pace creep through traffic, that's exactly the manual transmission that you want. But the flip side is once you start driving hard, there's no feel, there's no engagement. The, 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 the excitement you were hoping for from the manual isn't there because it wasn't tuned for that. I mean, the clutch on the 300ZX is, it's like a leg workout. And it's funny, when <laughs> yeah. we, with, with the GR86 and the Lotus and the 300ZX, all three of those have completely different clutch take-up. And every time I hop in the 300ZX, it surprises me again how hard the clutch is. But yet when you're driving it out on the road, when you've got road ahead of you and you've got some speed, it feels great. So that is the problem with the Volkswagens right now, is they're tuned 
not for aggressive driving, which makes them great for commute, but not as fun. Geese 1RBM has been hearing that EV demand is down and that Mm. countries like Germany and Italy are pushing back against the EU mandate to ban all internal combustion engine cars. What are our thoughts on this? And do we think this is just a minor blip or indicative of a much larger rethinking of EVs? Geese 1, I kind of hope it's the second one. I feel like a lot of manufacturers have been rushing headlong into EV production without getting things really sorted or really compelling. I'll give Mm. you an example. The Volvo C40, not a compelling electric vehicle. In the Pantheon, it doesn't compete against Teslas. If you're looking at that for the same price as a Model Y, it doesn't even come close to being a consideration. And yet, for the same money, it's not even close to compelling. The Tesla wins all the time. Yeah, there's Teslas, but Tesla was built from the very beginning there practically a shiny brand new car company in comparison to everybody else on the planet. And they (laughs) were conceived from the very beginning to be EVs, whereas there's legacy manufacturers who are going, yes, that's our new direction. We just got to get product out there and that'll bring in the sales. And gosh, it's kind of not. And I think Mm -hmm. consumers are, maybe they're not rethinking, but they're starting to warm to things, but they're doing more research than ever before because it is such a huge tidal shift in car Mm -hmm. ownership and how you bring a car into your life and how you interact with a car. It's bringing new car enthusiasts onto the scene, and I think it has the opposite effect too. It's turning off a lot of people in, in some ways. So like we've said for years now, the policies will change, but I like that people are really thinking. I mean, I want EVs to come out and be incredible. And I've heard things with the Taycan, the Porsche Taycan, as cool as I think that is, and as interesting and as much tech has gone into that, I have heard stories from direct owners. A friend of mine has said his was a lemon. He had to send it back. Mm. The dealer couldn't Mm. diagnose it. It was out of his hands for three months, and then they couldn't figure out what was wrong, and he just went for the Tesla. I was like, I don't blame you (laughs) at Mm. all. So... I, I like the thinking about let's let's really make sure this is the direction you want to go as a company. And, you, of course, you have to meet various mandates. But I like that there's more of a give and take, it sounds like. Well, and I also think it aligns with the stuff we've said before, and, and I'm certainly going to keep saying it here, and that is this was a big flashy thing that a lot of people in various governments said we're going to put these mandates out. And now reality is dawning, Mm -hmm. okay? And I'm not talking, please, I'm not talking reality about are electric cars worth it or do they drive well? We've had electrics that we like, we've had electrics that we don't, which is the exact same thing of gas cars. Right. But infrastructure and materials and all of the things that take us from electrics being, you know, less than 5% of people buying to 100% what people are buying over the course of a decade. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that that has to bump up against. And one of the things that has to bump up against that we haven't talked about before is <laughs> we as humans, especially when it comes to our money, don't like to be forced to do things. We really don't. That's I a mean, great point. In, 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 the modern, in the modern political discourse, I don't care what politics you want to talk about. How often do people respond well to being told by their government this is how it's going to be? <laughs> right. Which is how electrics are being presented for 2035. And I am not saying right or wrong about the government being intrigued by electrics and electrics having their place. I'm not saying that because they do. But the, the, the mandate has come down with the gavel of, well, from this point forward, you are forced to spend your money here. And I think if that really becomes hard and fast, there's going to be a lot of people that are like, well, I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. I think all of these things are at play. But the larger thing that I've mentioned before and I think is the big thing is just infrastructure, not cars, infrastructure. And as people are trying to actually figure out, does this work for my life? For some people, they're saying it doesn't. And it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next roughly decade to see how much this does shift the market. I don't think 100% is coming. I think a major no, shift is coming. ever. But I don't think 100% is coming <laughs> ever. Poco Road Co. on Instagram says, first time seeing my expedition and all the snow photos. I, I took those photos so you could see the seven and a half foot wall of snow in my yard. It's yeah, your yard insane. doesn't look like that. Your yard is flat. Your yard is, 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 the, is the height Perfectly. of the driveway. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing you have to know about that photo. There's no hill there. There's no bump. That's just snow. I mean, yeah, the, anyway. The arc on the snow, the snowblower 
it can't get it up over anymore. Uh-huh. So it just yeah, sprays up that. against the wall and falls back in the driveway. I'm like, great. Yep, it's awesome. So now I'm really just driving exciting. through yeah. it. Well, he says, first time seeing my ex- expedition. As a matter of fact, I have produced a video review on that. It's not always the vehicle that we feature. It, it's our show vehicle. We use it as the production truck. And it's it's not going anywhere. I mean, it's got, mm-hmm. uh, what, 140,000 miles on it. And it's got some rust on it. It's kind of rusting from the inside out, but still, it runs great, and it's robust, and I just, I like it. Bob McCormick is asking a driving strategy question. He says, if you're driving with your hands at 9 and 3, as you should be, okay, on either side of the wheel, but if you have a corner that requires you to have more than the turning you can do before your arms cross, do we shuffle our hands? Or do we do the hand-over-hand maneuver? Now, the way Mm. you are properly taught is to do the hand-over-hand maneuver because what happens is when you take one hand off the wheel, you're able to reach around the wheel and you can can always return yourself back to center. I try to do hand-over-hand all the time, I will admit, because we all have those lazy moments driving that sometimes I just do the shuffle. If it's like almost there and I just need to do a tiny little correction and I'm street driving, I'll do a shuffle. On track, I try to completely restrict myself to hand over hand because you can walk your hands back on the same parts of the wheel and wind up dead center and in the right place. That is definitely the preferred way to do it, but I will admit it doesn't always work that way. Parmalat has a little interest in tech-laden options offered for new cars. It goes for something older than his current car, 2013 Golf R, like a 997-911. Will it feel old? Is there a sweet spot for used cars that still feel relatively modern but aren't filled with screens and safety nannies? Hmm. Early 2000s, and even then you're seeing in early 2000s some terrible screens, and it's tech, but it's old tech. So therefore, it will make it feel old. Therefore, I say whatever car that you're interested in and you like how it drives, sure, it'll feel older because you'll hear more squeaks and rattles and things will be worn. But if you like how it drives... You can always upgrade the tech, generally speaking. True, true. Don't get a Phaeton. (laughs) Yes. If the tech is the brain of the car, you're screwed. But outside of that, you're doing fine. On your yearly checklist of things not to do, Mm -hmm. please remind me never to buy a Phaeton. Just if I get close. I'll I'll do the same for you, too. Yeah, I I mean, this terrible thing is I would own the world's nicest Phaeton again. It's just just a terrible, terrible thought. Anyway, onward. (laughs) Yeah, you, you can upgrade older cars, but again, if you like the driving experience and you like how they feel, sure, it'll feel like an older car. And, and I know you don't like the tech, but I'm sure you want a little bit in your car. But again, if, you, if you're not looking for anything, then prior to the 2000s, I think, where there's no screens. I mean, you could go for like yeah. an 89 Honda Prelude. It's no tech. It's just cassette deck. You could go for something like that, I guess. There's a there's a lost decade in there that it, where cars are ruined by tech. I really think so. Yeah. I think it's it's like twenty uh, it's it's like two thousand two to twenty twelve somewhere in there, like early two yeah. thousands to just past twenty ten. That decade is the lost decade because it was pre Apple CarPlay. Yeah, it was pre touch screens, but everybody felt like a screen was required. You had to put nav in your car, all this kind of stuff, and all of those look like broken down backwoods Atari at this point, and that's a real problem. <laughs> if you get the cars from the nineties, I mean, here look at look my uh, my nineteen ninety one Nissan three hundred ZX is surprisingly modern and timeless behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Now you have some buttons and stuff that make you go, oh, yeah, this is a little bit old tech. We don't do it that way anymore. But I put a Bluetooth stereo in it so my so I can get Bluetooth uh, wireless audio. And I, I never think, gosh, this interior is old. You get in a, a car from the 60s, that interior feels old. Yeah. But you get in a car yeah. from the 90s, and you're just like, oh, this just, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit back, but it doesn't feel like this is an old car. You get in a car from the early 2000s, my, my Phaeton, my BMW Z4, it's amazing how dated they are by just the tech that is screwed to the dash. And if you can upgrade it, you're right, to Paul's point, then you can actually jump over that problem. But that is the lost decade for sure. Aaron Galinsky on Facebook is asking a question that makes me want to know, Aaron, where are you from? Maybe you are an American and you're just, you're just musing, but your question is, why is the USA the only place in the world that insists you must use a giant truck or SUV to tow anything and everything, mm-hmm. even when small trailers are, are loaded and are less than 1,500 pounds? You know, Aaron, one of the things this reminds me of is if you see caravan, uh, caravans of caravans, caravans of RVs, to put it another way, driving around the summer in England. 
everything's being pulled by a small car. You've got the little tiny round RV being pulled by the family hatchback. And that's, there, there's nobody pulling it with a big truck. I mean, occasionally you'll see some SUVs, but by and large, outside the U.S., you pull stuff with the car you own. It doesn't matter. I agree. Aaron, the problem here is that the U.S., uh, look at how much the Japanese markets struggled to sell pickups here for the longest time because they didn't realize the pickup-obsessed, massive pickup market this is. Pickups used to be the cheapest thing and something you only bought for utility. And that utility mindset where space isn't a problem because we have tons of it in the U.S., and the truck is the thing we use for utility. And also, the size of RVs here in the U.S. is absurd, they're like pulling a train car behind you now. It's not little ones like you see elsewhere. So all of these things kind of built up a culture in this country that we tow things with big trucks. And I have seen 5 Series wagons, and I have seen little hatchbacks, and you said you actually have a Pontiac G8 you tow with, and people look at you like you're insane. There is no reason to not tow with one of those if you're below the tow rating. That is absolutely viable. It's just the perception is, if I need to tow or haul... Look at all the SUVs that we're buying as a country right now. If I have to tow or haul anything, i got to go big. And we're back here going, hatchbacks, but we're alone. <laughs> you have a Durango Hellcat or an Escalade V with the 6.2 liter V8. The trailer snaps like the end of a whip back there. Like, yes, and everything's what, what destroyed. I really find... Totally. What I really find funny about many of the super high-performance SUVs, though, like the major high-performance SUVs, their tow rating is generally less than the non-high-performance model. Mm. Not always, but generally, once you get to the high-performance one, it's like, wait, yeah, okay, you can tow with this, but don't go crazy. You know, <laughs> whereas, like, the mid-grade <laughs> is like, oh, I'll tow your house for you. Sure, let's do that. <laughs> McCundon says on Facebook, which car-related skill are we looking forward to honing this year? It's always an ongoing thing for me now, McCundon, and that is the line, the race line, and really understanding what the car is doing, mainly through the tires. I, I want to mm, understand mm. my speed and the tires and, of course, continue to work on where my eyes are, always get, yeah. getting my eyes up the track. But I want to carry speed through a corner even more without feeling like I am. Mm, mm. That's what I want to work on. That's very good. Thomas G22 on Instagram asks a non-car question. I'm going to try to answer this efficiently. He said he has, a, he has an idea for a movie script. And so he's asking, should he write everything out like he was writing a book? Or should he try to write it like an actual script and include stuff like camera angles? There's two ways to answer this, Thomas. First off, and that is, what are you hoping happens to this idea? Are you trying to sell it? Are you trying to get somebody else excited about it? Because I would say this, if you've never written a screenplay before... It's, it's like writing haiku, and what I mean by that is haiku is the only thing more structured than a screenplay as far as the exact way to write it. You have to write it exactly right with a certain format and font, and there's programs that will help you do it, which is fine. But I would say if what you want to do is get the story out of your head to show it to other people and have them discuss, write it out in an, an extended outline. Give yourself 20 pages on the high side to write it out in normal prose form. If it has dialogue, great. If it ends up being five pages, that's fine. But just write it out in a way that you can easily write and easily tell and show it to others and see if you get to a place where it's necessary to write it as a script. Because that is, if you've never done it before, it is a difficult endeavor just structurally to write it properly. And unfortunately, when somebody reads a script, if it is formatted wrong, they will assume a couple pages in, you don't know what you're doing and they'll stop reading. That is the downside. Also, you don't have to typically include camera angles, but there are certain ways you have to structure it and you need to get that right, or at least close to right, to be taken seriously. So all of that to say, work in outline form for first, 10 to 20 pages, and start there. Got a last question for me on Facebook from Mike Honecker, who says, Will there ever be enough improvement in road technology <laughs> that will allow us to enter spring without, without having to dodge car-sized potholes? Mm -hmm. Mike, you are not wrong. As a matter of fact, today I was just driving the expedition following one of those Mercedes E-Class wagon cross-country things that you never see, okay. you know? I, yeah, yeah. There's one mm -hmm. in Park City. It's white. I saw it. It's cool looking. Yay! I okay, cool, good. It. it needs to be AMG, but still. It was <laughs> driving towards this pothole. It didn't see it, and it threw up a rock. I mean, j the rocks at the bottom of the pothole were kicked up on my windshield. It was just like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I wish I see it coming, but of course, then you have to factor in 
they're installed by road crews. Sometimes the counties and do they does the county care about spending more money on new technology that you know they can't justify? I I don't know. We'll see. Well, to do it properly, they would have to actually like resurface the roads differently. Well, yeah, and that's just not something that we have budget or time to do. There are actually there are lines you cannot avoid them. There are lines of nasty potholes right now going into and out of my neighborhood. You can't get oh, past. Oh yeah, them. they've gotten and worse they got, this year. They got so terrible. I've never. We're having such a massive winter year. This is the other side of the equation, Mike. We're having such a massive winter year that anything that normally has problems is being exacerbated. And these potholes. I've lived in this neighborhood for more than a decade. These potholes got to the point in early January that everybody was slowing down to walking pace and bumping through them, no matter what big SUV or truck you had. And that means me in a sports car, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to, what do I, do I take an angle? What do I do? And then Jeez. along they came one day in the middle of January with the big truck of, uh, of asphalt and they filled in the holes. But of course, you know what's going to happen because it's the same dip in the road that's always been, that's always created these potholes on both sides. I mean, there's no, no way around anymore. You can't avoid them. So guess what? It's taken about six weeks and they're back. So this, this means hopefully in the summertime they are going to have to repave a large section to change what the contour of the road does there to keep them from happening again. But you can't do that everywhere, and where's that money come from? So unfortunately, uh, short of different road structuring, I think this is a sad reality. Bigger SUVs is the answer. Heavier yes. electric mm-hmm. vehicles like that Hummer. Yep. Let's totally get those bashing at the roads, right? Totally. I, I, before I lose my Lotus in the pothole, I'm just going to go buy a hundred thousand dollar white EV Hummer and call it a day. That'll be good for the road. Exactly. Well done. Exactly. Guys, thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. You know where to write us now, and we're looking forward to hearing from you. We enjoy hearing from you. Just whenever you think uh, you see something yep. and, and you want to write to us, somebody, one of the two of us, will read it for sure. We've got the South trip coming. The Austin mm-hmm. trip coming shortly. That's uh, this next week. Yep. Yeah, about a week away is what I understand. Yep, that I'm video's coming next next Thursday. Keeping yep. you updated because it's going to be funny. It's going to be interesting. So we have we have so much cars. fun, and there's costumes and stupidity and all the things we normally do. Plus, there's a lot of good driving and some surprisingly good scenery. So we have a really good way to wrap up this series. It's going to be fun. Exactly. We're looking forward to next time. As always, thanks for writing to us. Cheers, everyone.